Please open your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. I thank you three brothers that read the Word of God to us this morning. What a wonderful description of God's dealings with Israel in Isaiah chapter 5. What more could I have done for my vineyard? Nothing. We can never lay the blame for fruitlessness in our lives on the Lord of glory. He's done more than enough to bring fruit from our lives. Then in John chapter 15, if we do not abide, which is to believe, trust, and obey the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall not bear fruit because without Him we can do nothing. And He says that every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, I cut it off, throw it away, it withers up, and I burn it in judgment. And every branch in me that bears fruit, I prune it, I purge it, that it will bring forth more fruit. And that's what we want this morning. And then we read in Revelation chapter 2 that the Lord Jesus Christ, walking among His seven golden candlesticks, came to the candlestick that was at Thyatira and said, I know you, brother, pastor. You and many of the members there are faithful. Your latter works are greater than your former works. But there are some there that are following Jezebel the prophetess. And I'm going to kill her and her children. But I'm going to lay no more on the rest of you. You just be faithful of what you already have. The Lord Jesus Christ visits His churches. We want Him to visit our church. We want to be found in Him with much fruit. And not be killed like He said He would do to that prophetess. Luke chapter 13, I'm going to read just a few verses to you, verses 6 through 9. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. Amen and amen. Amen. O Lord of heaven, I thank Thee, Lord of heaven and earth, that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ who is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is not the servant of church members. He is their Lord. And He has every right and the sovereign power to say to a fruitless tree, cut it down. Heavenly Father, bless us now to consider the precious words of the Lord Jesus Christ the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ 
And may they cause our hearts to tremble and to turn within and to examine ourselves. And then that we would turn unto Thee with our whole hearts that we might bear much fruit. Lord, help us. Help us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Just four verses this morning. Just a few minutes. We began with Psalm 144 where David said, Rid me of strange children. David was as compassionate, as merciful, and pitiful of a man as you'd ever meet. But he had a limit. The Lord Jesus Christ was a compassionate and a merciful Savior. Full of long-suffering and gentleness. But he has a limit. Long-suffering does not mean infinite suffering. Patience does not mean waiting forever. Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory, and He doesn't have to put up with you being fruitless forever. And He will not. And I am thankful to serve such a Savior. I'm thankful I'm not begging the Savior presented by the world who spends His life begging at your heart's door. I'm thankful that I can read in the same section of the Bible that that Savior will come into the church at Thyatira and kill His enemies if they do not repent. He gave her a space of time. He gave her a space of time. How do you know that your space of time isn't running out this morning? Let us humble ourselves before this short parable. He spake also this parable. Jesus often spoke in parables. We understand that He spoke in parables to confuse the common people. Those who read the rest of the Bible and those that were His disciples had these things explained to them, and it's very simple to understand this one. We know this parable does not apply to the final judgment because there is no time allowed when the final judgment is to be brought. This is a practical judgment in the church of God. And yes, when Jesus spoke the words, He was addressing the nation of Israel. But as we take that lesson and look through the rest of the New Testament, we find the same kind of language, the same kind of circumstances, and the same kind of judgment that can be brought in the churches of Jesus Christ. And it has been brought, and it shall be brought, world without end, until Jesus comes for us. It would distract the point for me to take you to all the New Testament passages and show you how we can understand these four verses. It should be simple enough and obvious enough to you by having had read to you Psalm 144, Isaiah 5, John 15, and Revelation 2. And with that as our introduction, let's look at the words of the parable. He spake also this parable. A certain man. This man is the Lord of the vineyard, and this man is the Lord Jesus Christ. This man is the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the one that walks among the seven golden candlesticks. He's the one that holds the seven stars in his right hand. A parable is an extended metaphor where there's a comparison being made. As we think about a vineyard and an owner and a dresser and a fig tree and fruitfulness versus barrenness, we can understand the allegory and the comparison that Jesus Christ is making. We don't want to get hung up on the details of these words. When you find a parable in the Bible, 
You do not want to try to analyze every detail or you will miss the lesson. I want to remind you of the parable of the Good Samaritan. There are 13 verses used for the parable of the Good Samaritan. It talks about pouring in oil and wine. It talks about two pence being given to the innkeeper. It talks about wounds. It talks about a Levite. It talks about a priest. But none of those details are to distract us. The whole parable was given for one purpose. A lawyer had responded to Jesus Christ saying, Who is my neighbor? Jesus had taught that His religion teaches us to love our neighbors as ourselves. This lawyer, as most lawyers do, was trying to look for a loophole in the language, and he said, Who is my neighbor? Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan to answer one question. Who is my neighbor? Your neighbor are those Samaritans that you cannot stand because the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. And then Jesus told the parable in the way of a Samaritan being kind to a wounded Jew, even though the Levite and the priest of his own nation would not show that kindness. That's the lesson. And see, notice, you don't have to go in there and try to find a meaning for the wine or the oil or the two pence. You would not believe what men have done. The innkeeper is the pastor of a church. The inn is a church. The two pence of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And on and on they go. The wine and the oil. The wine is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the oil is the Holy Spirit. And they create a huge movie to play to you, but the Holy Spirit never got that high. The Holy Spirit was teaching who is your neighbor. Those people that you despise that are your enemies, when you chance upon one of them in the providence of God and they're in trouble, help them. That's the religion of Jesus Christ. Now with all of that, let's come back to Luke 13 where you are open and let's look at these words. A certain man. The certain man is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of the vineyard. He walks among His candlesticks. He walks among and measures His churches and examines them. We know that from the rest of the Bible. I'm not going to distract you by taking you to all those passages. I'm going to tell you what the parable means by the light of the New Testament. If you have questions about any of the words, we'll look at it later. What we want to get is the lesson. And what is the lesson? If you aren't increasing in fruitfulness, Jesus Christ is disappointed. If you are fruitless, Jesus Christ is angry and He will cut you out of His kingdom. Therefore, we ought to humble ourselves and find out where we stand in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't care about your sight. We don't care what you think of yourself. Most men think rather highly of themselves. But a faithful man who can find. And so I represent the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. He spoke these words and He is speaking them again to us. A certain man is the Lord Jesus Christ. This certain man had a fig tree. This fig tree is a barren, false brother in the church of Jesus Christ. Vineyards don't typically have fig trees. Can you imagine what vineyards typically have? Vines. Vineyards have vines. Vineyards have vines that bring forth wines, grapes, which are turned into wine. This vineyard had a fig tree in it. This fig tree didn't really belong there. 
But it was there, but the Lord still looked for fruit on it. Had a fig tree planted. Reprobate false professors get into the church of Jesus Christ. Always have, always will. They sneak in. They have good words. Oh, they have a warm handshake. None of that means anything to the Lord because we all things are naked and opened under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And the Lord Jesus Christ is walking in the midst of this church this day. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter how warm your handshake or embrace might be. He's examining your heart and your life as to what fruitfulness you have. This fig tree was planted. Not only are there reprobates. What do we mean by a reprobate? That's a Bible word. It's not used very often because it's, it's so harsh for this effeminate generation. But a reprobate is the opposite of an elect. If you are elect, you're chosen. If you're reprobate, you're rejected. And that's how the Bible uses the words. So sometimes there are those that are not elect that get into the church of Jesus Christ. Other times there are carnal Christians who though they be elect and though they be born again with the power of the Holy Spirit, they do not bear fruit. They are the ones in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9 who have forgotten that they were purged from their old sins and do not bear any fruit. The Bible tells us that there are two categories. And they get into the church of Jesus Christ. So this fig tree was planted in his vineyard. Sometimes they spring up with joy. Sometimes even a reprobate can get excited about something he hears in a sermon. Carnal Christians can get excited. You know, some people never get excited at all, which makes them worse than a reprobate. But anyway, reprobates can get excited. And the Bible tells us they spring up with joy when they hear the gospel, but they do not endure and bear fruit. I love the Lord Jesus Christ, who in John chapter 8 turned to those Jews that believed on Him. And He said to them, I'm so thankful that you believe on Me. Everything's all set. Heaven is guaranteed. He didn't say anything like that. He said, continue in My Word. If ye continue in My Word, then are ye My disciples. Indeed. And, the, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It is continuing in the word of the Lord Jesus Christ that proves true discipleship and is the kind of vine that the Lord is looking for. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, even among His twelve apostles, had a devil masquerading as a disciple. And the masquerade was good enough that after three and a half years, when the Lord Jesus Christ announced that one of those disciples would betray Him, they could not figure out who it was. But Jesus knew all along, didn't He? He said, one of you has a devil. Jesus knew all along, but the rest couldn't figure it out. Peter, James, and John could not figure out that it was Judas Iscariot. David had them, Jesus had them, Paul had them, the churches of Galatia had them, the church at Jerusalem had them. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. The vineyard here is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the solitary kingdom of the nation of Israel. It's reflected in the visible churches of Jesus Christ. It's not a singular. The word kingdom is singular, but that's because it encompasses all the individual churches of Jesus Christ. Because we find John in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ 
in Revelation chapter 1, but Jesus Christ dealing with seven individual churches known by their geographical location. And we are a church of Jesus Christ in Greenville, South Carolina. And Jesus Christ is walking and examining us. That is the vineyard. It's the Lord's vineyard because the churches are His. In the New Testament, churches are called the churches of Christ. And that doesn't mean the denomination started by Alexander Campbell. It means that Jesus Christ owns His churches. He is their Lord, their Savior. He's the cornerstone. He's the bishop, the high priest, and the apostle of their profession. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. In the kingdom of Jesus Christ and within his churches, there was a fig tree planted. A false brother. A fruitless Christian. And the Lord addresses this issue. And he came. The Lord Jesus Christ is not watching us from a distance. You know, the little people out there can sing songs that God is watching us from a distance. But the God of the Bible is not watching from a distance. He's up close and personal. They wish He was at a distance once He comes. They're going to wish He was far away. The heaven and the earth are going to flee away from the face of Him that sits on the throne. He comes and examines His churches. As you go through Revelation chapter 2 and 3, where He addresses seven pastors of seven churches, He obviously has intimate details about each one of them. He is able to measure the loss of their first love. He is able to take their temperature and know that they are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold. He is able to know that they had the doctrine of Balaam in a church. He knows they had the doctrine of the Nicolaitans in a couple churches. He knew that some of them were being persecuted by Jews, false Jews, because the true Jew in Jesus' estimation is a child of God, either Jew or Gentile, born again with a Holy Spirit and circumcised in heart, not in the flesh. Jesus obviously has intimate details of His churches and of the members in those churches. Because not only does He walk among the churches, but He made a division within the church at Thyatira. He told the pastor at the church of Thyatira, I will put no further burden on you. You are doing a good job but you have a prophetess there that I'm going to kill along with those that follow her. So within the church, he makes a division. And so he came. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit. The Lord Jesus Christ is looking for fruit. He did not save us because he felt sorry for us. He did not save us to comfort us. He saved us like He did everything else for His own honor and glory. And He saved us that we would bear fruit. When I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Know ye not that ye are bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are Christ. He bought them and He paid for them. So when He comes looking, what does He look for? He looks for fruit. You know, some people are content that they sing in the choir. Others are puffed up in pride because they play the organ. Some of you may be puffed up because you think you know the Bible. The devils know the Bible best of all. But it doesn't do them a bit of good. They know the truth. They tremble in faith. 
before God. He comes looking for fruit. You know, the Bible tells us in that passage that we love so much, Ephesians chapter 2, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. It tells us in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The Lord Jesus Christ quickened us and saved us and regenerated us that we would walk in good works. And so the Lord Jesus Christ comes to His church, examines the members of it, and looks for fruit on this fig tree, and He found none. There are fruitless church members. Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said, I warned you with weeping and tears that there are enemies of the cross of Christ. They're belly worshipers. And how do we identify a belly worshiper? An enemy of Jesus Christ? Is it someone who curses in His name? Is it someone who converts to Islam? No, the Bible tells us plainly. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. He minds earthly things. He minds earthly things. Someone who is in love with this world. Your job, your house, your family, your marriage, your car, your sports, your entertainment, your recreation, your hobbies. Any of those things prove that you are a belly worshiper. Because you are giving your time, your efforts, your money, your time to things that only satisfy your belly. They have nothing to do with the God of heaven. And He calls you an enemy. You are fruitless. Attending church means nothing. All that means is you're the fig tree in the vineyard. By the fact that you come here. Membership means nothing. All that means is you're the fig tree in the vineyard. Attendance or membership prove nothing. Fruitfulness. He comes looking for fruit and found none. Oh, but they can say good words and fair speeches and deceive the hearts of the simple. They don't deceive all men. They only deceive the hearts of the simple. And they don't deceive the Lord Jesus Christ at all. That's the warning of Romans 16, 17, and 18. If you look around and you know that there are members in this church that you've never seen a spiritual good thing come out of as long as you've known them, don't worry. Jesus Christ is not surprised. He's not in the dark. He hasn't missed anything. And neither has your pastor. And neither have you. It's not that difficult. If there's members that have never come up to you and given thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ and spoken of His Gospel and spoken of the things of the Word of God and show the fruit of love, not worldly love, spiritual love, joy, not worldly joy, not jesting or laughing, that's not joy, has nothing to do with it, but joy of the Holy Spirit and peace of the Holy Spirit. They're never complaining but you know, there are some that are always complaining. It's very easy to measure a fig tree versus a vineyard. The simple are deceived, but the wise are not. And the Lord Jesus Christ is not. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. There are some fig trees that don't bear any fruit. This is the Lord Jesus Christ looking in his churches and finding members that do not bear any spiritual fruit. Verse 7, 
Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard. The Lord addresses his preachers. The dresser is his preacher. The Lord, the Lord of the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The dresser, the one who's supposed to dig around, dung, feed, water. God gives the increase, but there are men God has chosen to water and plant, tend, care, prune, help, warn, rebuke, teach, exhort church members to grow in grace. And those are His pastors. That's why in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus didn't address the church directly. He went to the angel of the church at Ephesus. And that wasn't Jesus talking to some angel that's floating around between heaven and earth like the angel of the Lord. He was speaking to the messenger of the church at Ephesus, then at Laodicea and in other places. Those were his pastors of those churches. And he addresses them about the problems that are in the church. You could tell that very well in Revelation 2 when our brother read about the church at Thyatira. You have a problem there. I know you, and you are doing well, and I lay no greater burden on you, but they. There's a distinction made there. There is a problem there. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard. You know how the Bible addresses this subject. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. So then he that planteth and he that watereth are really nothing but God that gives the increase. But they are still the dressers in the vineyard of the Lord Jesus Christ because they are His servants to do His will while He is gone. It's the job of ministers to feed the sheep of Jesus Christ and to perfect saints. Then said He unto the dresser of His vineyard, Behold! Behold! Look! At what's going on in your church. Look at what's going on in this vineyard. Do you see this fig tree? Behold, are you taking notice of what is going on in my vineyard? Do you recognize the problem? The Lord Jesus Christ has perfect knowledge of every fruitless tree. But He asks His servants, do you see them? Do you see them? They're not continuing in the Word. They're not bearing fruit. They're not growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're stagnant. They're they're backsliding. They're pitiful. They've never amounted to anything by spiritual measurement. Do you see them? The Lord says to the dresser of His vineyard. The man of God is supposed to be vigilant. And that vigilance is just not for enemies on the outside. It's for strange children on the inside. David was a vigilant shepherd, not only of his father's sheep, but also of the people of Israel. He protected them, and that's why we have Psalm 144, because he wanted to get rid of those enemies that were on the inside. Jesus Christ says to his pastor, his example pastor, a singular in this parable, Behold, these three years I come. As with all Proverbs and parables, the details are not the key. You know, we can start running the rabbit trail of three years. We can say this must have been six months before Jesus was crucified and He was referring to the three years of His ministry so far on earth. But if we do that, then we're no better than the man who's got two pence, meaning the Old and New Testament, given to the innkeeper. The issue is, 
God gives a space of time for repentance and fruit bearing. The issue is not three. Or men start counting and say, I've been baptized and converted in the church for five years, therefore I must not be a barren fig tree. (laughs) You're lying to yourself. Three is just to let you know that God is long-suffering and He gives a space of time. Holding your hands at Luke 13, look at Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29. The lesson we want right here, these three years I come, mean that God comes and sees no fruit. He comes again and sees no fruit. He's long-suffering. But He is not long, He's not forever suffering. Long-suffering is not infinite suffering. Proverbs 29 and verse 1. I want you to see one of the sober, sober verses of the Bible. The whole Bible is sober, but look at the severe warning here. Proverbs 29, 1. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. These are the words of Lady Wisdom. These are the words of King Solomon. A gentle and peace-loving man. These are the words of the God of heaven. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. You will not know when it's coming. You will not have a clue when it's coming. There is no three in Luke chapter 13 to give you an idea of time of how long you can wait before you repent of your foolishness and get serious about serving Jesus Christ. Because He will come suddenly. And you will not know when He comes. You had read to you this morning from Revelation 2, I gave Jezebel in the church of Thyatira a space of time to repent. And she ha- if she doesn't repent, I'm going to come and kill her and her children. There's only a space of time allowed for repentance. Back to Luke chapter 13. These three years I come. The Lord Jesus Christ, the owner of the vineyard, speaks to the dresser that's responsible for fruit-bearing and for the rewards of the vineyard. Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit, and I find none. The Lord Jesus Christ has saved us for a purpose, that we would be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's what He saved us for. He saved us to change our lives, and that we would glorify Him in this world by being living examples of what grace can do in a man's life. That men, by beholding our good works, would glorify our Father in heaven. But three years, he came seeking fruit on this fig tree, and he found none. Tares don't have fruit. No wheat grows on a tare plant. These are carnal Christians without any fruit, or they are reprobates that have no interest in the things of God at all. When Jesus spoke the parable of the sower, He described four kinds of ground. There is the wayside where a person does not pay attention while the Word is being preached. The devil comes and snatches it away and the person goes home as dumb and stupid and carnal as they were when they arrived. It is never the fault of the preacher. It is always the fault of the hearer. Then there is stony ground. The seed falls in the stony ground and it springs up with joy. Someone gets initially excited, 
But then the thorn, the stony ground, the sun comes out and beats upon that plant, and because it doesn't have a deep root system, it withers away and does not bear fruit to perfection. They can't put up with a little opposition and a little persecution. Then there is the thorny ground. The Word of God lands on that ground. The people hear it. Yes, I believe that. I ought to do something about that. I love that message I just heard. But they go home and the cares of this life grow up and choke out that Word so it bears no fruit. They are so worried about their little business, their little family. They're so concerned about their little lives instead of the things of heaven. And so they never bear fruit to perfection. And then there is that good ground that the Word of God lands on it. And those people respond and bear much fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Now, when Jesus got to the end of that parable, He didn't say, wasn't that a cute little story that I told you? He said, take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Because every one of us, every time the Word of God is preached, make a choice. I'm a wayside hearer. I'm dull and lazy. I'm part of the TV generation. And unless there's a movie in front of me, my mind is too small and too weak to work. No preparation, so the devil snatches it away. I'm concerned with the things of this life more than I am the things of heaven. And there is the thorny ground hearer. Or the stony ground hearer cannot put up with any opposition or persecution. Or you're a good ground hearer by coming in here prepared with your sins confessed, eagerly looking forward to what the Word of God has for you. It is your choice every Lord's Day on how you respond to the preaching of God's Word. Jesus, when He ended that parable, did not call it a cute story. He said, take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Because you will respond one of those four ways. Some of you will go home and get about the rest of your little life that doesn't amount to anything. The Lord's going to burn up every single memory and every single part of your life. It's all going to amount to nothing. All that matters is are we serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we love Him? Do we have fruit that shows His grace in our lives? Behold, dresser, I've been coming for three years looking for fruit on this tree and I find none. Cut it down. The Lord Jesus Christ says, cut it down. To Moses He said, stand back and let me annihilate this nation and I'll give you a new one out of your loins. To David, the angel of the Lord stood over Jerusalem with a drawn sword and 70,000 men dropped like flies. To Abraham, he said, I'm going to burn up the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. To Samuel, he said, the Philistines are going to punish this nation for their wickedness. But the dresser of the vineyard, the Abraham, the Moses, the Noah, the Samuel, the Job, the Daniel, the intercessors of the Bible. They go to the Lord of the vineyard and say, and look at what he says, Lord, let it alone this year. Let it alone this year also. I know it's been three years, but give me some more time. Let me dig around it and dung it. And there was Moses. How many times did Moses intercede on behalf of the nation of Israel and save them from the judgment of the Lord God? Cut it down, the Lord says. 
You know, a minister reads through his Bible and sees what the Lord has to say about those that do not continue in His Word, those who do not bear fruit, and the Holy Spirit speaks to him as clearly as if it were an audible voice. Cut it down! But any dresser with a pastor's heart says, give me a little more time. Give me a little more time to dig around it and dung it. But the Lord says, why cumbereth it the ground? Why do you have that member even in the church? It's wasting good ground. Other members have to put up with that member. You have to waste your time on that member. Just like a fig tree sucks nutrients out of the ground, drinks up water, blocks sunshine, it's a detriment to the vineyard to even have it in there. And that's why the Lord said, why cumbereth it the ground? It's messing up the church. It's a discouragement as the brethren look at it. It's a bad example for our children because the person cannot bear any fruit. They're fruitless. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? I wonder how many Sunday schools are getting this story this morning. I wonder maybe if Rick Warren has decided to pop Luke 13, 6 through 9 on his 20,000 seeker sensitive reprobates out there at Saddleback. I wonder how it would go over if he was to say that the Lord Jesus Christ has a message for you this morning. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? But that's what the Lord Jesus Christ has to say. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't sound like He's in the business of mega-growth churches, does He? He's going into churches and seeing if He can thin the crowd out. Instead of hauling in reprobates and carnal Christians, He's in there wanting to cut them out and thin the crowd down to where He's just got fruit-bearing vines. This is the Word of the Lord. I stand 100% entirely opposed to every aspect of Rick Warren's ministry. I don't care if he's a Southern Baptist. I don't care if he's a Muslim. He's not following the Word of God. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? His pastor says to him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. Give me another year. Give me a little more time, Lord. Let me do a better job. Every minister had better have the heart of Solomon. I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. Lord, maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's my fault. Let me preach to them another year. Let me warn them another year. Let me try to be a better example. Let me pray for them another year. Give me another year. You hear Moses? You hear Moses? You know how many times he did it. Paul, still laboring with that church at Corinth. You know, when you read that, some of you, I know you feel like James and John at other times, they should have called fire down from heaven on Corinth. But he didn't. He labored with Corinth. And he saved Corinth by laboring with them. They had altogether cleared themselves in the matter. Till I shall dig about it and dung it. Those are extra ministerial labors that the dresser of the vineyard wants to apply. And look at what he says in verse 9. If it bear fruit, well, Lord, just think if you give me another year and through preaching of thy word and extra labors that we get fruit out of this tree, won't that be good? Won't that be good, Lord? 
We will have saved a soul and there will be fruit on a tree that you didn't think could bear any. Wouldn't that be good? I hear Moses. I hear Samuel. I hear Paul. If it bear fruit, well. The goal is always for a minister to save church members. Always. You know, even when a church member is excluded and turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, what's the end goal of that? The salvation of their spirit in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always salvation. You know, Daniel, Daniel interceded with Nebuchadnezzar. He said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. This is at the end of Daniel chapter 4. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, break off thy sins by righteousness. Perhaps there will be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Did the Lord give him another year? The Lord gave him a space of time and he didn't repent. And a voice fell from heaven. The thing is performed upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven out from men and spent seven years like an animal on his hands and knees. Daniel interceded for him and warned him that the time was about to expire. And I'm here this day to ask you and to tell you the time will expire. And for a while, every good pastor prays for the fruitless members in his church and says, Lord, I'll dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit, well. But they also say, if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. I want you to notice the careful wording here. Every pastor thinks the same way Jesus Christ does to appoint me better. The Word of God reveals how Jesus Christ thinks, and he better be reading and studying and applying that Word in his own heart and mind. And so he gets to a place where he can no longer put up with fruitlessness either. And so he says, Lord, I'll make another effort. But if that effort doesn't work, then you come and cut it down. Notice the dresser doesn't say, I'll cut it down. The dresser says, you come and cut it down. How does the Lord cut down trees? He sends heresies. He sends heresies among us so that those that are revealed can be made manifest. We've had it happen in the past. We'll have it happen in the future. 1 Corinthians 11.19 says that God is in the heresy business. He will send men among us. Paul knew it. Paul warned the men in Ephesus. He said, men are going to arise among your own selves, speaking perverse things to draw men after themselves. They are not interested in the kingdom of heaven. They think they know the Bible and they want men to follow them. They build up doctrines to get a following themselves. Paul warned them. He said, I haven't failed day and night to warn you because I know it's going to happen. And in 1 Corinthians 11, God said, for there must be heresies that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. God will bring heresies to find out in this church who truly loves the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's one way that He'll cut them down. Another way that He'll cut them down is He'll kill them. When I look at the church at Corinth, I see that there were many weak and sickly and many slept. There were many that had already died at Corinth for their fruitless, profane treatment of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, His gospel, and the Lord's table. When I look in Acts chapter 5, I see Ananias and Sapphira who couldn't give with pure hearts 
cut down by the Lord right in the midst of a New Testament church. This is not Old Testament practice. This is New Testament practice. The Lord Jesus Christ cutting down wicked church members, just as He said He would in the church at Thyatira that was read earlier. Then He exposes men by their sinfulness. What may have been private and simmered for a long time finally burst into the open where the church can deal with it and cast out that wicked sinner like the fornicator in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Those are different ways that the Lord can do it. He'll bring heresies to reveal those that don't truly love the truth. He'll cut men down with physical health and death, physical sickness and death, and He'll expose private sins and make them public. Jesus had told His disciples that every plant that His heavenly Father had not planted would be rooted up. John the Baptist had declared the axe was already laid to the root of the Jewish tree and it was going to be cut down and cast into the fire, which it was. And it wasn't one year, it was 40 years of long suffering, but it got burned up. Jesus cuts the fruitless branches off and burns them up. Here's our parable. If it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Even the tender heart of a compassionate Moses reaches a place where he can no longer put up with rebellion. You go read Numbers chapter 16, and Moses is not begging for the lives of Korah. Moses doesn't beg for the life of Korah. Moses told God, I've never taken a thing from them. I have never done anything wrong to them. Now make a difference, Lord, and show me something special. And God showed him something special. God opened up the earth and swallowed the enemies of Moses. And God sent fire from heaven and burned all those men who thought they were something, who said, you take too much upon you, Moses. Moses never took anything upon him. Moses never wanted the job. God put Moses in that job, and God did not put Korah in that job, and that was the difference, and God made a difference. And then because the nation of Israel didn't want to settle for that, he killed 14,100 more because they weren't content, and he spent the whole next chapter showing which rod would bud and bear almonds. And it was the bud, the, the, the rod of the tribe of Levi, of which Moses was. Even Moses, Moses was so patient, Moses was so long-suffering, but he reached a point where even he would no longer beg for mercy. Members, it's time for you to wake up and hear the preaching that comes out of this pulpit that's done every day by other means and hear it with the focused goal of fruit-bearing. We are not just sharing knowledge from the Word of God. We are being warned from the Word of God to bear fruit. How do you know that the time hasn't run out for you? You can go ahead and laugh at God. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He will have the last laugh, and I will have it with Him. There are no enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ that get away with it at all. If you think because nothing has happened so far, how do you know that you are not at the end of the fourth year? In Psalm 50 it says, Sometimes I remain silent so that you think that I am like you. But remember this, ye that forget God, I'm coming to tear you in pieces, and there will be none to deliver. That is Psalm 50. He is deceiving you into thinking that you're getting away and that your fruitless lifestyle is acceptable. Fruit bearing is measured by the Word of God. 
It is not measured by your idea of some little Sunday school you went to when you were a child. It's not measured by your idea of what godliness is. It's not measured by you thinking you understand the Bible. It's measured by are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Are you bear, are you, do you have a Spirit-changed life? Love. Full love. Forgiving one another. Forbearing one another. Joy. Are you full of joy? If you're not full of joy, you're fruitless right now. Peace. Are you at peace or are you complaining and whining about your life? There it is. That's how we're to measure our lives. Jesus Christ is measuring us that way. This is His word to us. Lord, for those who have used up their three years and their extra year, we pray Psalm 144. Rid us of strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity and their right hand is the right hand of falsehood. Lord, for those who have used up their three years, but not their extra year, let me dig and dung about it and see if it bear fruit. If it bear fruit, that'll be good, won't it, Lord? Lord, for those others in the church, we pray that we'll bear more fruit. Purge us, prune us, perfect us, convict us, lead us. Show us where we have things in our lives that are choking out the fruit that we would bear more fruit. Father in heaven, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I beg Thee to send Thy Holy Spirit down from heaven and to convict every heart that is a child of Yours, a true child, that they will go forth from this assembly and bear much fruit. Heavenly Father, purge that which is in us that we would bear more. And if there are those that need more digging and dunging, Lord, bless the efforts toward them. If there are those that all the efforts have been made and they still do not bear and have not borne, cut them down and deliver our church from them that we might be in the happy case described by our brother David. A happy case of a people prospering and growing with God as their Lord. Have mercy upon us and bless the preaching of Thy Word in this hour. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.